For our message this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Obadiah. As we look at our messages for both services, we'll be looking at the question of who is God? This morning, we'll look at it from Obadiah. This afternoon, we'll be reflecting on Isaiah chapter 40, but with Belgic Confession, Article 1, uh, in that. Uh, so then we will be looking at the, that theme for both services today. I invite you to turn to the book of Obadiah. It's a very short one. I'm listening to you rustle through your, your Bibles here because it's kind of tucked in there. It's on page uh, 918 if you're looking for it in your Bibles. For those who are listening on live stream, you'll find it on the screen as we go through the reading of the entire prophecy of Obadiah. Fear not, it's 22 verses long. Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you, you have, de have, have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from the Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, the foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the time in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives, do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. It shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. 
The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau a stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah will possess, shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zephyrad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you picture God? If someone, if someone were to ask you, describe to me who God is, how would you answer them? We want to look at that today, this morning, and this afternoon. Here we want to look at this from the Old Testament prophecy of Obadiah. Do you sense God present in your life as being nearby and close or afar off? Do you experience him as being an an angry God? Is that how you would describe him? Or would you rather describe him as, as being a loving and gracious God. We will see from what we learn here that God is all of those. He's far off and he's nearby. He has times in which he becomes angry and times in which he becomes loving. He is God. He is God. And Obadiah brings us into an understanding of that. His name means servant of the Lord or sometimes that word Obadiah can be translated as worshiper, worshiper of the Lord. The shortest book of the prophets, shortest of the, in fact, the shortest of all of the Old Testament books of the Bible. We don't know too much at all about his parentage or his birthplace or his home, the location, his life and work. It's not really that important. What's important is the message that Obadiah brings to the enemy, Edom, Esau. We'll look at that. Satan, and a message for the church of Jesus Christ. Obadiah is a fairly popular name, and there's mention of Obadiah on four different Kind of four different individuals named Obadiah. So let's not get confused. I'm not going to go into all of the details of who the other Obadiahs are. This is Obadiah the prophet. The timing of the writing of his prophecy is in dispute amongst the scholars. I don't consider, in spite of myself being a doctor of theology, I still struggle with the dating of the book of Obadiah. But I look at the last verses of 
of the of the of the prophecy, and it talks about the extension of king of of the people of Israel going into Canaan. So I would judge it to be early, probably around about 950. One of the first prophets, then, if that's true, one of the first prophets to prophesy. Here we have an introduction, you might say, to the prophets, the minor prophets and the major prophets. The purpose of the book, the prophecy, is to warn Edom, and in so doing, to warn the enemy. And secondly, it is to encourage the church of Jesus Christ and to have a reflection of the church victorious in the face of evil. Under the pressures of Satan, the victory of Jesus Christ. This prophecy points ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ, that first coming not only, but the final overthrow of Satan after the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the big picture that we have here. In the first 14 verses, he addresses the enemy, specifically Edom. Who is Edom? Well, in Genesis chapter 36, we have a listing of all of the descendants of Esau. Esau. Verse 1 says, these are the sons of Esau. That is, and then in brackets, that is Edom. And then in verse 19, when it concludes all the descendants, it says again, and these are the sons of Esau. In brackets, that is Edom. So this is a prophecy against the descendants of Esau. The Edomites lived on a route, along a route, the route of the king's highway that they called the one that was traveled greatly during those times, went right through the region where the Edomites were living. They lived not only in the plains where they had fertile fields, cattle, but they had homes, they had temples in the rocks of the mountains. It's still a marvel today when we think about some of the ruins that are up in the clefts of the rocks. And there's reference to that, as we shall see in this passage as well. Edom was an enemy. Why? Well, to look at that, we just need to go back to where that enmity between Esau and Jacob began. In Genesis chapter 25, twins, born one right after the other, Esau first and then Jacob shortly thereafter, holding on to his heel as if to want to be the first, but he wasn't quite the first. But then in Genesis chapter 25, we read about that birthright. Some of us may remember that story where Esau... The elder of the two comes out of the field. Jacob has been preparing some food. And he comes, Esau comes out of the field and he says, Give me some of that red pottage or that red stew. We read that in Genesis chapter 25, verse 30. Red is a very significant 
indicator because the name Edom means red. In fact, at the birth of Esau, we read that when he was born, he had a reddish tint to him. Red, Edom, give me some of that red stew for I am exhausted. And, and Jacob says, only if you give me your birthright. You're the right to have the main inheritance from Father Jacob. And Esau at the time is thinking, what do I care about my birthright? I am hungry coming out of the field. Here it is. You can have it. Give me some of that red stew. Now there's a tension since that time between Esau and Jacob. Esau saying to Jacob, well, you took advantage of my hunger. And Jacob is saying, well, you, you gave it to me, this birthright. I have the right to it. And indeed, when Esau is closing his eyelids at the end of his life, Jacob is presented to Esau, Esau being blind at the time. Jacob is presented and, and, and his mother puts on some hairy, hairy clothing over him because Esau was a hairy man and, and Jacob spoke like Esau and said, give me the birthright, father. And Jacob gives him the blessing of the first blessing of the inheritance. Esau is not happy. And Jacob had to run away from home because of that. The interesting thing is that we do hear later on and read later on is that there was a resolution that takes place. We read about that in Genesis chapter 32. You can leaf through your Bibles from verses 24 to 33 there. That issue is resolved between Jacob and Esau when they finally meet and resolve that issue. But the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, will not forget what took place. They got second place of the inheritance. Should never have happened. Never mind what Father Esau did or said or the deal that he made. Should never have happened. And that enmity continued after that. So when Israel is on their way to Canaan, they had to, as they were going to be over, overtaking the promised land, they had to go through Edom in order to get to Canaan. And the people of Israel said to the Edomites, we'll go through here. We will stay on the highway. Whatever we take for food, we will pay for you. And we will let you do this. But the Edomites said, you are not going to use this highway. They did anyways. And there was conflict along the way. The conflict there continues today as the Edomites eventually take over the people and the land. And then change the capital from Jerusalem to Hebron later on as well. As a matter of fact, the Edomites become what they call, what are called the Edomans. And out of the Edomans comes King Herod. Are you sensing that enmity continuing to struggle? Because we know the story of, of King Herod in the New Testament and how he beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist kept on talking about this great king of the Jews, Jesus Christ, that was coming. The struggle continued even into that New Testament period. The Edomans, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. These are the people that Obadiah is speaking this prophecy against. It's addressed to the Edomites. Here's what's going to happen. And here's the blessing that the church of Jesus Christ will receive in spite of you as the enemy. So we need to see this in a bigger picture. 
Because this, this account that's taking place in the book and the prophecy of Obadiah is a picture of what's taking place in the entire scriptures. The scriptures, when we, we give it in a summary fashion, are all about the story of salvation. And in that story of salvation of Jesus Christ coming, there is a story about the struggle between good and evil throughout the scriptures, throughout the scriptures. Whenever we read about a clash between God and his people, we need to look at this in the bigger picture of the clash between good and evil. That clash continues today. And we continue to struggle with that evil today. Who's the enemy today? It's not, it's not a particular country ready to overtake Canada. The enemy is a spiritual enemy that we are dealing with today. And these words speak to that. That bigger picture of the struggle between good and evil, but the struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And we look at this and we see that the enemy today are the desires of the flesh. That's the enemy that we can see through this prophecy today. Our lifestyles that wander away from the Lord. The enemy is compromise with the world. The enemy, the enemy is conformity to the world. The enemy is a false sense of tolerance to the world. Jesus is the one who said that the things, in Matthew chapter 7, the things that come out of a man are what make him unclean. What kind of things come out of a man? Well, Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. We don't like to read these verses. But this is the enemy today. The acts of the sinful nature. And they're obvious, he says, Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And we might want to say, are you, are you going to keep on talking about this? Really? Stop it already. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like, as though there were many, many, many more things. That's the enemy today. And Obadiah is speaking to that enemy. Satan and all the symptoms of that that we just read through. Edom, if we look at, in those first 14 verses, we see in verses 2 to 4 just briefly, the plans that God has to humiliate Edom. And then verses 5 and 6, the atrocity of the plans that the enemy has against God's people at that time. And the extent of that, how wide and broad that's going to be in, in verses 7 to 9. We don't have time to unpack all of that. But in verses 10 to 14, he says, you are guilty of disobedience. Edom is being unbrotherly. Now, you and I might say, well, blood is thicker than water. And so when it comes to family, we will defend our family to the hilt, right, sometimes. And overlook all the all the, the negative side of, of what happens in family, because after all, it's family, but not Edom. They're unbrotherly, verses 10 and 11. They mock their brother 
Israel, verse 12. They trespass against them, verse 13. Verse 14, they ambush them. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress to hide and to ambush them. And the result of all of this for Edom is, is found in verse 14. Uh, verse 15, actually, just slipping over into verse 15 and then back into the other passages. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. God's law of retribution. God's law of retribution. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. It was a double wrong on the part of the Edomites. Not only were they demonstrating hatred, which is the sign of the evil one. That's how he is identified, hatred. But we need to remember that it's also the sin of betrayal. The betrayal of their own brother. Of their own flesh and blood. And we read through this and... And identify this in the fall of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, when Judah finally falls from Babylon in 586, right around about that time, Edom joins in to help them with the destruction of Israel at that time. That's how bad all of this is. With Herod being a part of the Edomians, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, they took over Judah. And then what we read and look for in the New Testament about the Edomians and the Edomites and the descendants of Esau is very little because in 70 AD when Jerusalem falls, we hear no more about the Edomites and Esau. Some of the destruction, some of the punishment that is talked about already takes place at that time. Ironically, when we look at this, Edom is gathering his forces to go against Israel, and the nations around are watching. But in the end, it's the nations around that are gathering together to strike against Edom. In spite of the fact that they were in the rocks and fortresses, God is sovereignly in control. No hiding in the rocks and fortresses can stop God from following through on his plan for the salvation and for the coming of Jesus Christ through his people Israel. Nothing can stop that train from moving along through the scriptures because God is in control. Uh, He's the engineer of that train and it's not going to stop. It's going to continue on as we go through the scriptures. We read this and then we begin to get a sense for what this is all about. And this is not the only place in the Old Testament where there is prophecy against Edom. A prophecy of destruction and punishment against the enemy. I have a listing here of, of readings in the, in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. From Jeremiah chapter 49, from Lamentations chapter 4, from Ezekiel chapter 25 and chapter 35, Joel chapter 3, Amos chapter 9, Malachi chapter 1. Seven more examples in addition to the prophecy of Obadiah. God is reminding his people time and time again that he will punish evil. Why? Because he's the sovereign one. He's on the throne. Struggle? Yes, 
Challenge, yes, as we live it today. But in the end, God will reign victorious. And that's what we need to be reminded of in that. And so this not only is a proclamation against Satan today and all his dominion and all of his influences, this is a proclamation of victory for the church of Jesus Christ. And we find that in verses 15 to 21. The prophecy against the enemy is made and declared for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. To encourage us. It's not easy to fight this battle against Satan. That story going through the scriptures of the battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, coming out at different places throughout the scriptures, doesn't close at the close of the scriptures. That struggle, that battle, that challenge continues today. We are in the heart and in the heat of that battle today. Who is God? What is your picture of God? Obviously, he is a, a God who becomes angry at the enemy. <clears throat> And meets out his punishment. He is a God of justice. Now when you and I think about justice. We tend to think of justice as being only a punishment. God is a God of discipline. And that goes both ways. Punishing the evil. Injustice. And rewarding the good. Injustice. It's two sides of the same coin. Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7 spells that out. Moses says, Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the God of love that we like to hear about. But verse 7 says, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. The justice of God is good news for the church of Jesus Christ. Because as the enemy is punished, as we read about that in Obadiah, those first 14 verses, we recognize that we are being favored by this punishment that is taking place against the enemy because it is for our benefit. Before it is for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ, of which Jesus is the head. It's his church, and he holds the church as his covenant community in the palm of his hands as a dear, beloved body of his own life, the body of Christ. So when we think about this evil and this good, we need to ask ourselves a question today. 
Are we a part of the problem, evil? Or are we part of the solution? Are we giving in to the evil that is going on around us in our society today? Or are we a part of the solution? Or are we just silent bystanders and just seeing how things go? We look at this issue of the silent bystanders and we know that if we are not engaged in the battle against the enemy, just being silent bystanders, it is as though we were a part of the problem. We are called upon to be engaged against the evil. As the church is addressed, we see in verses 15 and 16 of the passage here, again, I'm not going to unpack all the details of that, I do a whole conference, eight hours, on the book of Obadiah. I'll spare you that in my ministry. But in verse 15 and 16, we have the good news for the church of Jesus Christ in that there is vengeance on the enemy. Verses 17 and 18, that there's a restoration of God's people. Verses 19 and 20, the exiles are returned to their rightful land of inheritance. That is a part of that. To the south, Edom. To the west, Philistia. To the north, Ephraim, Samaria. Samaria. To the east, Gilead. That's the picture that we are seeing here. There is a picture here of God's people, rather than becoming being fugitives, they are being delivered from the hand of the enemy. Every subtle move of the enemy is known by God. Listen to what we see in verse 6. How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. This is a reminder that God is going into the crags of the rocks and searching out the enemy. Every detail is there because God is a God of details. But you say, we are experiencing so much evil today, too. Yes. God permits evil to happen. Not the author of it, but he permits it. Gives Satan some leash. It reminds me of a dog leash that has this little clicker thing on there, you know, and then you can stand it and you can pull it back and so on and so forth. Well, he lets that go. And then all of a sudden he clicks that clicker and says, that's as far as you go. That's as far as you go. No more. No more. Because God has got his hand on that control. Let's be reminded of that in our lives. We see this and we ask ourselves, so who really is the victor here? Is the victor in this verses 15 to 21 is the victor Israel? Or do we rather then see this as I've suggested in a bigger picture that the victor is Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, then... And the church of Jesus Christ, a picture of the church of Jesus Christ today. We are the ones who graciously receive the benefits of God's punishment over evil in our own lives today. It's interesting when we look at the final verses of 
the prophecy in verses 90 to 21, do you notice how many times the word possess is mentioned? Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Cephala shall possess the land of Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim. That's the land of Samaria. The Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the, of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. And the exiles of Jerusalem shall possess the cities of Negev. That word possesses a very difficult one, really, to, to, to translate from the Hebrew. Because it's not just that they're... That they're Attacking and taking over. Now, not just occupying, some translation use the word occupy, and actually they will sometimes interchange possess with occupy in some of the translations. This is a promise of the inheritance of God's people once again being restored to his people. That's the sense of the possession. We don't have a word for that in the English language. But it means that God's people will once again possess that which is due to them from before the creation of the world in perfection. To be able to possess the earth, as it is talked about here in Canaan, is to be, is to be in, to inherit, to have our rightful possession, the rightful occupation, if you will, then, of the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus Christ comes again. That's the final picture of what we see happening. And to do that, we need to be engaged, people of God, against the struggle of evil today. We need to be engaged as a church here in Strathroy, as a federation of churches throughout North America, as the Church of Jesus Christ and the mission projects throughout our world on all of the continents, we need to be engaged. How can we get engaged in this battle? Through the work of evangelism, presenting the gospel one to one to one to one to the other, to claim who Jesus Christ, to proclaim who Jesus Christ is. Through the work of evangelism in the witness of our own lives and, and being a living witness and talking to others about the reason why we have the hope that is within us and the reason why we do things the way we do things, being willing to show yourself as a living testimony and witness, that's a part of combating the evil that's in, a, in our world today. Knowing the scriptures, becoming equipped reading the scriptures daily, studying them daily in services of worship, in Bible studies, in, in kingdom seekers, in cadets, in Sunday school, in all the ministries of our church, in your own home, in your devotional life, get to know the scriptures. Knowledge of the scriptures is a tremendous tool against the evil in our world today. Getting involved in community things that are going on. Getting involved in politics. Becoming, becoming a partner in, in being a, uh, an elected official in, in, in government. On the municipal level as a town councilor or as a member of provincial parliament. Or as a, a member of parliament. And, and, and engaging in helping those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And being able to take on some of these positions so that they can have an influence in that. That's a part of engaging against the enemy. That is out there today, and God's call to us is to be engaged in this battle against the enemy. Let me conclude. 
with a reading from Psalm 11. Let God speak the last words. And I'm not going to make any more commentary, but just to read that psalm. Listen. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen up. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 7, final verse. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds in the upright shall behold his face. Amen. Father, we sometimes tire of the battle that we are engaged in because there's so much evil in our world today. Thank you, Father, for the promise that we have, the encouragement that we have that you are on the throne. And we take our marching orders from you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give us courage to fight this battle against evil that we have seen in the prophecy of Obadiah today. Thank you, Father, that you are a mighty fortress in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.